is Gwen Stacy. I went to a science demonstration, got bitten by a radioactive spider, and now have these amazing powers. To the residents of New York, I'm the dangerous vigilante called Spider Woman. But you know me. You know us as Gwenum. Let's find out what we've been up to. It's time for the ultimate spin. Yes, that's right. This is Ultimate Spin. Welcome to the Spider-Man fan podcast that follows the ongoing adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. My name is Brian, and coming up in this episode, all hell breaks loose for Gwen and her arch enemy in Spider-Gwen number 29. Then the Sinister Six finally put their plan into action in Spider-Man number 238. My name is Jack, and as always, you've got a standing invitation to visit us at ultimatespinpodcast.com. You can learn more about us, find show notes, and follow along with everything we'll be discussing in this episode. Plus, you can download and stream the shows for pretty much every Gwen and Miles issue today. And, if you're interested in going behind the scenes, we've even got exclusive interviews with the writers and artists who bring these characters to life. And clearly, you love these books as much as we do. Otherwise, why on earth are you listening to this? Don't be shy. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com. Tell us what you think of the stories, the art, the characters, whatever is on your mind. We do the show to connect with our fellow fans, and it's a lot more fun to talk with you than at you. And we're back with another double episode. We've got Gwen and Miles this week. It's going to be a, an interesting one because it's been a bit of a roller coaster going through the two of them, but it, it feels like they're kind of culminating at the same time. And it's it's a nice kind of rhythm for us to get into, I think. Yeah, with big kind of question marks in their futures, too. Definitely, definitely. With the potential changing of creative teams and artists and writers leaving these books, possibly in the near future. We know, obviously, that Brian Michael Bendis is leaving Miles and going over to DC, but we don't know about the future of Gwen. It's, it's a weird time to be a Gwen and Miles fan. It's a, It feels feels good to be able to kind of, like I said, have them going in the same kind of pace and the same kind of rhythm and culminating in a definitive end to at least the the main arc or the main story. But yeah, fingers crossed they go off in, in the right direction. We've been getting some announcements of who's going to be taking over the new Marvel books coming up. So fingers crossed for some Miles news coming up soon. Yeah, maybe even by the time you hear this episode, who knows? <laughs> That'd be typical, wouldn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> Speaking of creative teams, if you follow us or any of the actual creative team folks on social media, you may be already aware of the news regarding Justin Ponser, who's the person who has brought incredible colors to the world of Miles Morales and other Marvel titles for years now. Um, Justin, we learned, is currently fighting his way through an unthinkable range of medical challenges and, unfortunately, the extraordinary costs involved. There is a GoFundMe website uh, set up at GoFundMe.com slash help dash justin dash ponser p-o-n-s-o-r uh, where you can find out more information and as we are recording this they are just shy of their goal of fifty thousand dollars this is someone that's played a great role in telling the stories we've enjoyed over the years and one of those situations where every little bit really does count i wish the absolute best for justin if you're not sure who we're talking about and you've 
you probably heard us mention him on the show plenty of times before. Yeah, there, I, <laughs> there's never been a show where we haven't raved about his works. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like I said, Miles has been a bit of a roller coaster here and there, but one thing you can absolutely rely on is Justin Ponza being an incredible colorist and bringing really vibrant and interesting shadow work and tones and stuff to to every issue he touches and yeah like i said we're both huge fans of justin we wish him the absolute best and if you can please go and support him uh we will put tweet out we have tweeted out the links and stuff like that already and you can also just google gofundme justin ponza as well and you can find it that way as well there is a lot we could say about the state of healthcare in the united states and the fact that we need to rely on crowdsourcing but don't get started yeah that is that is not what you're here for um so yeah just to echo what jack said we'll ask that you kindly just spread the word about justin's situation and if you're able to please consider donating that said let's get to what you did come here for two guys discussing a story about two guys discussing a story about spider gwen that was deep man that That was was nice right yeah yeah that was excellent brian takes away for a quick little recap of Spider-Gwen 29. All right, let's check in. The watchers of Earth-8 and Earth-65 are stunned as a long-awaited battle between the Kingpin and the Punisher is interrupted by Gwenum, and then Captain America herself. Cap takes out the Punisher and nearly breaks through to Gwen, only to set her off again by saying that Murdoch will see justice. Gwenum knocks Cap out and is ready to finish Murdoch, when the dimensional transporter is activated and she finds herself face to face with the original Gwen Stacy of Earth 616. Dun, dun, dun. Holy smokes. What is going on, Brian? Oh my God. Wow. This is crazy. Just to begin at the beginning, this whole scene with the watchers coming out of nowhere. Um, I love this. This is, you know, one of those great Spider-Gwen kind of curveballs that they like to throw. I think we we are, what, five issues into this arc now? Or six if you count the little prelude. And it's been heavy. It's been intense. And I really appreciate the the need to keep it or to find moments of levity in here. And starting with these two, uh, I, I think it's such a great balance, especially because the character herself has been through the ringer. Uh, and I miss, as I'm sure we all do, Gwen being able to be happy so it's it's fun to get some some joy in this kind of weird roundabout way with watchers eating squirrel pies and drinking cups of coffee <laughs> yeah Gwenham has been heavy and it's been a really great opportunity to explore the character and and deal with like her anger issues and her abandonment issues and things like that and having these other characters come in i mean i talked about it quite a lot in the last issue about how Matt Murdock is kind of the black mirror to her. He had felt alone until he saw there was another kind of superpowered person out there. And having Murdock be the kind of backdrop to this whole Gwenamark has just been absolutely fantastic. I and mean, we can get some fantastic moments. But like you said, let's start with the beginning. How much butt does Frank Castle kick? Oh my god. Glass embedded in his arms and just the rage and the bloody face. Um yeah, that was exact. I mean, at the end of the last issue, I mean, this is what you were saying you you wanted to see, and you get it. I mean, you we definitely get <laughs> this just bruiser just plowing through uh, members of the hand and not really taking any prisoners. It's it's a phenomenal entrance. Um, were you disappointed to see it cut short? 
A little bit, yeah. That's kind of my main criticism with this issue is that the final battle feels less climactic than it than it could have done. And we also get a couple of extra pages at the beginning with the Watchers and that kind of whole wacky cosmic adventures, that weird sitcom thing that is happening in space mm-hmm. with the Watchers and Watcher 65 just snoozing on the job and just not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And then, yeah, we cut straight to a bloodied, beaten, grizzled Frank Castle throwing down against anything and anyone that stands in his way. And I really, really loved what Robbie and Rico really pulled off in this this big fight. The amount of dust that's being kicked up by the punches and kicks and explosions and Gwenham throwing her tongue around, using the tongue as a weapon, which is really cool and unusual such dynamic combat. I think it's some of the best fight scenes we've seen in a really, really long time in this series, but it did feel like it was kind of cut short a little bit because so many other things interrupt it. As you mentioned, Captain America shows up, Samantha shows up and starts kicking her own kind of butt in, well, in her own way. Hang on, just to, just to back up a second. So, it, <laughs> so as I'm looking at the page where Gwenham arrives it looks like that panel of the watchers underneath is basically us because that was my reaction on the left going, whoa, and clearly your reaction on the right going, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. much. (laughs) You and I are basically the watchers. (laughs) That's why why I thought this was perfect. So, (laughs) Have you ever thought about cosplaying as a... As a watcher, I Ryan. do have the haircut, so there you go. <laughs> I could get a bald cap. We could go as we could go as watchers together one day. There you go. Samantha is just all kinds of awesome, and it's it's really interesting to see her square off with Gwen and not with the quote unquote bad guys, because I mean she does. She kicks Matt in the face, and, and she puts them down de- pretty quickly. Deals deals with them pretty quickly, but her main conflict and her main kind of drive is to fight Gwen and is they spend way more time those two fighting the, the in theory the two hero characters who are on the same side but it really just shows how far Gwen has fallen it's a really really powerful fight and a fantastic moment and some of the best looking stuff these guys have done in a long time as well I think there's a lot of storytelling happening with Robbie's staging here especially when Cap arrives, there's a panel where Gwen is kind of between the two of them. And that's really where she is at this point in the story, you know, trying to figure out which end of the sort of spectrum she's going to land on. And I think when Cap starts the conversation, I thought it was very effective to have the mask kind of melt off her face. And so we get to see Gwen looking vulnerable and, you know, incredible expressive acting that Robbie creates with her face uh, in these panels. I love that. Cap is kind of getting through to her until the word justice. And what a great, that's one of my favorite panels, I think, in the series to date. That close up of Gwen's face with the hair over one eye and that kind of steely look she's giving just as the Gwen is kind of creep back up her face and the sort of montage behind her and her relationship with the police and then what happened with the rhino and, and how she ended up in this point. That was really powerful. And we're rooting for the hero. You don't want to see her kind of give in to the dark side. And yet she did and takes Cap out. 
that almost looked like a cover image when I saw that panel, that kind of flashback. Yeah, like you said, her realizing the journey she's been on. That could so be an iconic cover image. And it, it's very kind of classic staging, like you said, with in the, in the style of these superhero comics, you'll get people squaring off and stuff like that. But the fact that they take that moment for her to kind of pause, reveal her face, and really you see the humanity in Gwen for that brief second before Gwenham takes a hold once again. And as you said, Brian, justice is the trigger word there. She just goes all out. And I briefly mentioned it earlier. I really want to talk about how cool the tongue was in this. <laughs> that scene was uh, freaky <laughs> and terrifying. That sequence. I, I just, uh, with the teeth kind of bulging out of parts of it and digging into her arm. What I think uh, was the most shocking to me is if you want to connect the dots between this and the last issue, Ben is the one, Ben Parker sets her on this kind of path about power and responsibility. And this is why you're going to go take everyone out. And nothing's going to stand in your way. When Gwen is finally dispatching Cap, she takes the mask down and is really owning it as herself. Uh, she's not hiding behind the, the costume. This is justice. And I, you know, we can do this. And her last line is, and I have to. Powerful, powerful work from uh, from Robbie here. Absolutely, yeah. I, I hadn't made that connection that it's kind of Gwen owning the justice and and taking responsibility for her actions. She's not hiding behind the mask anymore. This is Gwen Stacy fighting Samantha and fighting Matt. And the look of despair on Gwen's face when he says, "I'm finally not alone," and she realizes, "Oh, we're not so different after all." It turns her back, and you know she kind of ends up on the the right side again only to only to have this another weird thing happen which the watchers are also just as stunned as as we are but yeah to to end up face to face with herself i actually did a little bit of homework and i dug back through the earlier issues of the run all the way to radioactive spider gwen number three and just to refresh your memory that's where gwen uh, had the dimensional transporter and she jumped over to 616 to hang out with a very pregnant Jessica Drew by the, the bridge where the original Gwen Stacy died. And during that issue, they have a, a great conversation and Gwen is kind of asking about her Earth 616 version of herself and saying that she wishes like she could be normal like that Gwen was. And there's a great line. Jessica says something along the lines of the tragedy of the original Gwen Stacy and her life being cut short is that she didn't get to enjoy her full life, which includes making mistakes. And I went and looked up the line and, you know, she's talking about the hard times, the times when you're unsure. Those are just how you figure out who you are, what your life means. Focus on today. Be the best Gwen Stacy that you can be right here and right now and let the future take care of itself. And when I saw that final panel, it was first like the, ah, what reaction? But then also thinking like, wow, there's so much great emotional territory to potentially mine here. If that is indeed the Gwen that we were meant to think it's supposed to be, this is the conversation that she needs to have again. And with the one person, that's the one person that can hopefully push her back over the edge. Wow. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I did not make that connection. I'm I am impressed by your research there, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I should expect nothing less of you at this well, point. I'm always, I'm always impressed by you going back and connecting the dots from 20 plus issues ago. <laughs> and uh, so is this 616, Gwen? Or is this a. Has she time traveled as well? Given that the next chapter is uh, The Life of Gwen Stacy. Which, of course, is a play on the, the death of Gwen Stacy, the, the classic arc. Jason himself had posted on social media his words. Uh, he said, The arc ahead is the most ambitious, form bending thing we've tried yet. It's a big swing at saying everything I have to say about Gwen Stacy. That's a bold claim, Mr. Yeah, Little. Yeah, so I, again, that was one of those things like, wow, is this like, are, is, is this home stretch territory? You know, like, I hope not. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I mean, for an issue that was a, basically an extended fight sequence, I, Robbie and Rico, I mean, those guys, those guys came in hard. I mean, the characters are practically exploding off of the page. I mean, everything, like we mentioned, Frank working his way up through the building, just the glass in his arm and everything like that. And then the panel uh, of Cap making her entrance, I read this issue in print the first time. So that was like turning the page for that surprise. It was huge. And it just such a powerhouse moment. And even the, the watchers too, with their extreme expressions. I mean, I'm not, the watchers generally aren't comedy characters. I mean, the last time I think I've seen that, uh, was probably in Matt Fraction's excellent series FF, um, where they were kind of played for laughs a little bit, but the <laughs> their expressions and everything was just like popping out. I mean, it was a lot of energy in this issue, and you could tell a lot of energy uh, went into it as well. This feels like a triumphant moment in the way that it is a triumphant moment for Gwen. Very briefly, before <laughs> yeah. she is sucked away and and kind of has to come to terms with very literally and figuratively facing herself. But yeah, I think everybody was firing on all cylinders in a world where Marvel gets a lot of criticism, particularly in their cinematic outgoings of having this very kind of, everything kind of looks the same. Everything has a similar tone. Everything is kind of roughly similar visually and things like that. When you hit something like this and Gwen and what Robbie and Rico have been doing has always, always been something completely different, something unusual for a superhero book. And I think this issue in particular really, really kind of stands out as a testament to what they've built and the visual style that they've done. Like there's not even backgrounds for 90% of these pages because of the, the big fights and stuff. Mm -hmm. who, Who cares? That's not what's important. It's expressions on their faces. It's the blood. It's the sweat. It's the tears. It's the punches and kicks and dust being thrown up. Crazy sound effects. It's such a powerful, powerful battle, especially between Sam and Gwen. Yeah, I I think that's that's a good point. Like, there is not a single panel that is wasted. And you're right. Like, for this, there's so much emotion or there's so many emotions flying through this fight. I mean, it didn't feel like a generic brawl absolutely yeah nothing about this book feels generic which is always good no this is like if if it's a fight there's going to be some heart uh, (laughs) this issue works really hard and earns every success absolutely the only thing i can think of is that matt didn't quite get the opportunity to shine but we haven't seen the last of matt murdoch i don't think this is the end of the kingpin of 65 as as we know him. No, nah, he's got to visit his dentist first, but other than that, we should... Well, yeah, him. exactly. Poof. Go to the doctor, go to the dentist, get himself fixed up. <laughs> he had a new pair of glasses, too. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, exactly. By the way, I love that. Um, just, again, one of those, like, 
nothing is wasted. Matt gets his glasses knocked off in the brawl. Uh, he's recovering while Cap and Gwen are trying to talk it out. And he finds his glasses again and they're all cracked and smashed up. But I love that Robbie actually has the panel where he's putting them back on. It's like those little touches like that. Like, yeah, he's trying to you know, refurbish himself a little bit and resume uh, some semblance of authority in the situation. Absolutely. Anyway. Should we get on to a three-word recap then? Yeah. So, what do you like a three-word reaction to this issue? What do you got? I'm going for powerful emotional battle. Yeah. No, no arguments oh. here. Um, <laughs> How about you, Brian? Yeah, just kind of like word association. For me, it was intense adrenaline and panic. Wow. Especially at the <laughs> end, like, oh my gosh. Should we move on to talk about Mr. Miles Morales in Spider-Man? Issue 238, then. A good segue from the issue itself, because it put us back in the 616 universe. Hey, there we go. It all fits together. Now we're back in 616 with another character who kind of doesn't belong in the 616 in a way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. There's plenty of that in here. Jack, set the stage for us, please. Let's uh, let's talk about Spider-Man. Number 238. We open with the Iron Spider summoning the Sinister Six together to plan the big helicarrier heist that's happening that night. Except there's now seven of them because baby bombshell Lana has been convinced to join her mum and the bad guys. Meanwhile, Genki and Miles argue about Aaron being alive and the dodgy deal that Miles has made with his uncle. Miles interrupts the heist, takes out the goblin, but is quickly stopped by a confused Red Hulk. Despite Goblin selling them out and Lana punching him mum, Miles takes out Red Hulk and the bad guys eventually manage to get away with the stolen shield tech. We culminate with Jefferson finally meeting up with Cable once again, but this time he's brought Rio with him. Cable is hesitant at first, but Rio puts her foot down and demands to speak to whoever is in charge, whether that's Cable or not. Hmm. And my fanboy heart got a warm glow seeing the return of the to be continued panels. Oh man, to so good. Be continued. Dun dun dun. <laughs> it's just close up some people's faces. It's such right. a classic, classic cable thing of just the glowing eye. <laughs> oh, so good, so good. Anyway, that's the last. That's literally the last three panels. Let's let's start at the beginning, shall we? <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's change it up a little bit. I think it's safe to say the the last couple of issues in, in this arc in general haven't been have been the best haven't been hitting home so in all seriousness I'll, I'll put a question out there for you what does this issue have going for it i think the the main thing for me is that the sinister sticks finally actually did something yeah <laughs> right they've done almost literally nothing between six villains not two villains not three villains but six spider-man villains of varying powers and and evilness but yeah they've they've actually pulled off their heist they've been setting up for what seems like decades at this point (laughs) and aaron actually comes off as you know a a competent leader for the first time since everyone is just arguing and arguing and arguing but it actually seems like he may actually know what he's doing and he can gather these guys together and make them cooperate long enough to actually pull this thing off i think that is my main positive from this is that they've actually done something rather than just standing around posing on a rooftop which they've done for the last 
five issues or however long this thing has been going on for. Although they did get a, a cool pose in this one as well. They, they still got a cool pose, but they also did stuff. They didn't just cool pose on top of a roof <laughs> like they usually do. <laughs> How about you, Brian? It was kind of out of nowhere for me, but I did like the moment where Sandman decided to intercede between uh, the bombshells. He'd kind of had enough of this whole parental abuse. That was a promising moment, although I also wonder, like, how are we going to explore this meaningfully? They've kind of set that up a little bit with Sandman being the almost, it almost seemed like he was going to defect or, or leave or he had kind of less faith in the plan than the rest of them. And it was nice to see him. He's kind of their moral compass of the Sinister Six or the Sinister Seven, I guess. Right. Double bomb, double bombshell. I think art-wise, this was this was a strong one for me. It, it actually felt like a big budget movie <laughs> in some ways. I mean, I guess seeing the you know nice huge uh, image of the helicarrier taking off and and I think setting it at night. I think Brian Reber's colors in particular work really well here, especially having a Red Hulk in the scene. But trying to make Miles's costume work in a night scene is not an easy thing to do, and I think he did a really solid job of that. You've got the kind of blue moonlight tint to yeah. the night sky, which I think worked really well. He took full advantage of it, yes. Definitely, definitely. It's just a weird lineup. I mean, Sinister Six, that whole idea, like originally was like the Spider-Man all-star bad guy team. This lineup is like, all right, I need six characters. There are six characters. Some of them you probably forgot existed, but here they like, are. No one else is using them. Okay. And and now Spot speaks Yiddish, which was a great bendish touch um, <laughs> out of nowhere, but okay. Sari's coming back was was kind of out of nowhere, but we haven't had a whole lot of other characters in this run. So I, I'm assuming Miles' trip to Japan and Cable being there, that's the characters involved there. That's that's going to tie into who's behind this helicarrier heist. You would hope so. I if hope does, so. If it doesn't, then I will be annoyed. You might have seen Bendis had actually mentioned at Emerald City Comic Con that his plans for his last issue changed following his illness. It's an interesting thought that something could have shifted at the at this late stage to to change his mind and and maybe have something something different happen to Miles as his final moment in the hands of Brian Michael Bendis. We get a civilian scene for Miles as well, hanging out with Genki in their dorm. It's nice to see Genki kind of, again, trying to talk sense into him. <laughs> and uh, and Miles being just as confused as everyone else about what the Sinister Six is doing. <laughs> I thought it was very helpful to have Genki kind of tie some thematic threads together for the reader as well. And just to remind us that uh, he has a line like, okay, you've got... Resurrection of close relatives, you've got good friends in real trouble, a crossroads in the whole should you even be Spider-Man thing. There's a lot. There's a lot to juggle. Uh, not, <laughs> not to mention the drama. With it never occurred to me he's just literally describing the themes of the book yeah, to the reader. He's just, <laughs> he's just helping us out, which, you know, that's why Genki is the man. So I, you know, I will always, always appreciate him. And then he does a, a solid for us here. Um, but then, yeah, their conversation is overheard by Barbara. Reaction? Who cares about Barbara at this point? <laughs> oh, she just knock on the door and is like, hey guys, just heard you talking about resurrection. How's it going? It's a weird kind of well, I mean, take in their stride, I guess. I think they're also playing with the uh, jealous girlfriend thing a little bit because remember she showed up at the gym. Oh, um, yeah. And he says the text from Lana and all that kind of stuff. Goes, so. It's real. This is it. I got to go get her. Obviously, she doesn't know what that's about, and she just walks away. 
She also hears how is your uncle back from the dead. She does. She Which does. Is a more pressing topic, I feel, than Oh, Lana. I feel like well I would too, but you know, again, high school drama. It's like Yeah, yeah exactly. it's a it's a high school or teenage drama. So I, I yeah, but I, again it was like Barbara is for me a step up from Katie. Who? Uh <laughs> exactly. Da, 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 da. You're welcome. Thank you. But uh, she's a little bit more. I mean, Katie, my biggest problem with her was she ended up. Katie Bishop ended up being just kind of a cipher character, just a placeholder. And Barbara, there was a little bit more happening with her, but it all happened in another series. And then even then, most of it kind of off panel. And then all of a sudden they're together. So again, it doesn't feel earned. And I. I just feel this character deserves better than that. I mean, I think about the character of Alicia from the uh, Miles novel, who was so much more well-realized and appealing as an individual. We haven't really gotten to know Barbara. There hasn't really been time. And I think that does a disservice to her as well. Um, And so can she ever really be elevated beyond Miles's girlfriend? And even girlfriend in quotes, because it's like, okay, a girlfriend, if you say so, but. All right. Yeah, I remember you discussing your your concerns about her kind of slipping into the background and not really getting the the page space or the panel space or the time to actually develop into her own character. We know almost literally nothing about Barbara. Like you said, you recognized her from her hat. Like, great. <laughs> right. She she wears a hat and Miles thinks she's pretty. That's about it. We don't know what she does like what does she study what is she into does she play video games does she play sports it's a it's a just, drag. there was a giant robot head in the school and she was like oh cool robot head see you later it's a drag and, i mean you go back to the original ultimate run and the supporting cast you got to learn about even characters like kong you got to know and she doesn't even have a facial expression in these she's in there for three panels two of which show her face she doesn't even smile or look concerned. She's just like this weird. She's kind of numb like, to it all. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'm she's to, a robot. Maybe yeah. she's a like a life model decoy, which is <laughs> Marvel's equivalent of like a robot clone cyborg thing. Uh, for the listeners who don't know, I don't really know. I've kind of lost track of what an LMD is these days. <laughs> but she could just be some like shield robot, cables robot minion or something. That could be interesting. But then. That also makes her just a side character girlfriend kind of thing again, which is not great for one of the more prominent female characters in this book, which would be a shame. We talk about this book juggling like four or five different scenes going on at once and how sometimes it feels a bit out of order. I feel like this felt the most kind of put to get correctly put together issue in a while. It was the least confusing, but easiest to follow mm-hmm. in a little while. This felt a lot more chronological and it felt a lot more purposefully paced and structured than a lot of the previous issues. That said, I do mourn the loss of the internal monologue because it gave us the wonder, uh, great dialogue. Oh, yeah. Weird new power. Super mega venom web strike, which he said out loud. Does he bundle, like, get a ball, essentially a ball of that string stuff, the super mega venom strike? Super, super mega venom web strike. Sorry, bundle it up into a ball and then just shove it in his mouth like a 
like a bunch of cotton buds like what what is going on anymore why or, does he have all these weird powers what's going on Brian? or was it like a swing and a miss because he said i'm trying to grab the ship before it cloaked and then the hulk just grabs him and says no and then he zaps him in the mouth and then the he zaps him at the end yeah so that's what i thought Maybe. happened who know, who knows anymore i don't know i can't keep track here I was talking about how well paced this issue was. <laughs> and we Sorry, spent ten minutes trying to work out one fight scene. Uh, well, comparing what we were talking to with the with the other issue for this episode, it was like this. This is like your typical comic book scrap, which is fine, but uh, you know, yep. I I hadn't really felt invested in it. Like, yeah, and and how much I talked about how Gwen is not a generic superhero book, and the battles and the sound effects and the dust flying everywhere—it feels epic and emotional and important and then we just one kick done with the goblin and then a red hulk shows up for half a dozen panels i guess it's tough we do a show where we look at each issue up close and we hadn't particularly been enamored with this run and so my take was like i don't want to miss the forest for the trees so i kind of scanned back a little bit through the run you know this whole notion of street level spidey and Way back in the beginning, we had this black cat diamondback gang war to kind of set things in motion for Jefferson, you know, sort of returning to duty and got to this point where Miles was losing control. And then the whole black cat hammerhead diamondback, that all kind of disappeared in the... Oh, yeah. Diamondback was a thing. I'd literally forgotten he was in this series until you just mentioned it. It was really dramatic in the beginning. And then he was sat behind his desk and he was like, there's too many spider people. We're like, take out some Spider-Man. And we were like, oh, who's this guy? Very mysterious. Cool. But then it was a Defenders thing. And it's like, all right. And then we, you know, we fell into the Civil War stuff and Miles is having nightmares and he ends up in Washington, D.C. and kind of got through that. Um, And it settles down. We get an issue where Jefferson goes on this fake mission to try and save Miles. Okay. And then the Spider-Gwen crossover happened. And then we ended up sort of a return to form in Miles in Japan. And like through all of that, there were these great ideas being seeded. The journey of Miles trying to figure out, is this who he is? Is this what he wants to do? And these new elements coming in of maybe you could and should be doing something else. Like all great. I do appreciate that. And I do enjoy all of that. That said, especially after reading an issue like this, yeah, pretty standard fight, girlfriend overhearing things and misunderstanding. Okay, it just, it felt very, for lack of a better word, safe. And I feel like this character and this series are really overdue for taking some risks. And I felt like it did at one point, like one of the first things we talked about with this run was the whole uh, skin color issue and Miles's reaction to that. That was such phenomenal territory. And then we just kind of wandered away from it, which is a shame. And But to me, that was like, that's a kind of a step in the right direction. Like, I'd like to see more of that. The Kadransky issue was phenomenal. Again, like in a similar respect, it was it was different. I was about to chip in and say that's because it felt so different to everything else. Yeah. This, I, this feels like every other Marvel book at the moment. And the Kadransky issue was so like nothing we'd seen for miles before. In a very, very good way. All in, a, in an excellent way. So all of the things we love about the Spider-Gwen series, like I'd love to see that for Miles. And by that, I don't mean the same type of artwork or even the humor or anything like that, but just take some chances. Bendis has finished telling his story. He's got to close it out in two issues. The scripts are all done. It's What's done is done. We'll find out soon enough. But I really hope, my fingers are crossed, like for 
whatever the next iteration of this series and this character is going to be, it's really time to to push it forward. Because at the end of this issue, I was like, all right, I don't think I would have missed much if I had skipped it. And that's no disrespect intended, you know, to, to the creators and the hard work that goes into it. It just, it wasn't for me. It, it didn't feel unique. Agreed. Yeah. I, okay. I, I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm alone in that or if you guys listening no, feel no. the same way. Uh, you know, it's a conversation. Let us know. I mean, again, like I'm trying to be as respectful as possible because, you know, there's nothing malicious about it. It's just that's my reaction as a reader. Yeah. I, I'm Like I said, I agree with you in a lot of ways. I do feel like this issue did a lot more than the previous couple. I think this is a lot more essential reading than you could pretty much skip the last two issues and you probably wouldn't miss much apart from Uncle Aaron making a Dave Chappelle reference with his pancakes. And <laughs> right. that was about it. Like <laughs> there really wasn't much going on in these last two issues. At least something happened here. At least something progressed towards some sort of climax and some sort of No, fair fair enough. Credit credit where it's absolutely due. Yes. So on that note, <laughs> On the last couple of pages here, how do you feel about Rio kind of putting her foot down and, and squaring up to Mr. Cable, as it were? I love this. It actually it worked for me because Rio really found her strength in the last couple of issues. I thought that was that was a great thread, too, that Ben has handled very well, um, starting all the way back uh, to said Kadransky issue when she, she discovered the secret. Uh, and had to come to terms with it and then became like empowered. Like she knows along with her, her husband and their number one priority is protecting their son and she can join him in that and see her stand up for herself. I I loved it. I'm good with it. Yeah, me too. And like, like you said at the very beginning, it's great to have the to be continued panels back. It felt like an appropriately dramatic moment, and you can literally almost feel the like you did the sound effects at the beginning, but like like twenty four or something like that, where it cuts <laughs> from one character, stum cable, stum Rio, stum two, b <laughs> continued. Like it felt incredibly dramatic, and it's good to have those back in, and it feel like Miles once again. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a it was a cool moment to get Rio just taken no crap from cable oh my gosh yes and that last panel of her that is her mother's daughter right there so <laughs> like i am not the one you want to be messing with right now he is a super powered mutant cyborg from the future who is very scared of miles morales's mother right now yeah <laughs> he can't even look at her right or he... <laughs> okay so should we wrap up yeah spider-man issue 238 with our three word summaries. Sure. Uh, mine was, uh, so that happened. <laughs> mine is incredibly similar to that. Oh no. me, It's like, I'm just kind of seeing it through. Like I really want to get back to, or get to the Aaron miles, Jeffers, like the family confrontation, whatever that's going to be. And whatever the next step is the heist as huge as it is in terms of the plot is really just kind of a side story. That's not the hook for me. So it's like, all right, they did it. You know, I just really want to get to, just want to get to the the drama. Uh, My three were, or are still, very similar to yours. Yay, something happened. (laughs) Well. (laughs) (laughs) 
Listen, like a little bit more positive than yours, but not not far off. Oh boy. Oh dear. Oh Miles. Oh Miles. That's what we thought of these two issues, but we also heard from some of you guys as well. So our first piece of feedback comes from Stefan Bonamo. Stefan says Gwenum continues to be everything I love about Spider Gwen. The characters in the story are constantly evolving. Totally agreed. And secondly, Sinister Six Reborn, however, is everything I don't like about Miles. Too much dragging and not enough actual story. As you may have guessed from this episode of Ultimate Spin, we agree. <laughs> Stefan, we agree. I think that's, that's a fairly universal uh, feeling across the board for everyone here. Speaking of universal feelings, Steve Lambert writes in, Hey, the Sinister Six finally did some things. <laughs> yes, Yay, something happened. This story would have been better if it had just been about the return of Aaron and Bombshell. Agreed. I, I think those they're the the heart of that team. Team in quotes there, but that's that's really the central appeal. Uh, Steve goes on to say, Bendis could have introed the six this issue without losing anything in terms of buildup, and the first several issues would have been better for it. However, Sandman's characterization has been great. I've enjoyed seeing him portrayed as the wary, experienced guy, but especially the way he interacted with Lana and protected her was perfect. Good nod to Kemia from Amazing Spider-Man 615. Are you aware of uh, Kemia and what he's referring to there? No, I'm not. I'm not. Okay, so this is a two-part story called Kemia's Castle from Amazing Spider-Man number 615 and 616. Uh, it was by Fred Van Lente and Javier Polido. Or Polito. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really emotional uh, story for Sandman. Kind of ties into the whole dad and daughter theme they were going for in Spider-Man 3. And what we can do is we'll link on our website, our friend Mark Ginocchio, it's uh, Spear Spider Talk, did an excellent write-up on this story. Um, it is truly a lost gem, and uh, we'll just point you in the direction of that write-up so you can learn more. But yes, uh, excellent call, Steve. You're, you're right on point there. Next up, we have Ricky Ribeiro. Ricky says, I appreciate there was a lot more action this issue and that the Sinister Zik actually did something sinister. The cable thing is finally getting tied up, it seems, but the idea of Miles as a spy is very meh for me. I like him as he is now, a teenage street-level superhero. Once again, agreement from me there, Ricky. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would just like to see more of the street level. More yep. of the street level. The fact that the Sinister Six was Spider-Man roster is not a good thing. Like like uh, Steve Lambert said earlier, like Aaron and Bombshell, like those are Miles related characters and miles needs some more that could actually fill up that rose gallery uh our friend lawrence minor wrote in and said five dollar bet that the buyer of the stolen helicarrier is tomoe the techno golem hey yes. tying it back yeah you know, i was i was kind of getting at lawrence that earlier I, I think so too um yeah <laughs> i'm not i'm not gonna take that bet because i i think you're right on lawrence and as it's been his tradition, Lawrence also has a playlist for us. We'll put it up on our website. Visit ultimatespinpodcast.com and you can check out the tunes that he recommended for this issue of Spider-Man. And lastly, Tristan Chance writes in. Tristan says, at this point, I think Bendis is just shoving everything he wanted to do in before he leaves for DC. I just want the new writer to actually do something with Miles slash Spider-Man. Yeah, well, we'll see. I, I think we're due for an announcement soon. I would, I would imagine if they're going to solicit uh, what's coming up next. But fingers crossed. We'll 
Got to be soon, right? It's got to be soon. Yeah. Like I said, we've heard from plenty of other books from Marvel. They've done some announcements at recent conventions and things like that. So I feel like it's coming soon. Coming soon. Maybe by the next time we record, we will have some some exciting Miles news. Fingers crossed. Thanks to everyone for writing in. We'd love to hear from more of you. You can join the conversation anytime. You can write us at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com or connect with us on Twitter at The Ultimate Spin, Facebook at Ultimate Spin Podcast, and on Instagram at ultimate underscore spin underscore podcast using the hashtags SpiderGwen, Miles Morales, and Spider-Man. You can also find our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Just search for Ultimate Spin. And if you're feeling kind of generous, you could always leave us a review or spread the word. We'd love to find more of our fans and chat some more. So let them know that we're here and ready to talk Miles and Gwen. And of course, if you're feeling financially generous and want to help out Justin Ponza, quick reminder, go and check out his GoFundMe page and help him out. He is very, very close to his goal. And like I said, I'm sure all the listeners want to join us in wishing Justin the best in his battle against his various health issues and things like that. And uh, fingers crossed that we Justin gets over the goal and everything goes really well for him. Yes, that website is gofundme.com slash help dash Justin dash Ponser. Uh, we'll have a link to it on our website as well. Uh, we also want to give a mention to our friends Dan Gavazin and Mark Ginocchio at the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. They are well underway in season two of their podcast series. Um, they also just launched a new uh, podcast on their Superior Spider Talk network, The Untold Talks of Spider-Man, featuring Kane Winstead and Matthew Derigish. I hope, uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, but it's a new podcast series where they're going to take a look, um, not at the Untold Tales of Pi- uh, Spider-Man series, but instead kind of the hidden treasures or lost gems, uh, Spider-Man stories that are great that might have passed you by because they've been overshadowed by the by the more sort of larger than life ones but anyway uh, you can find info on that at superiorspidertalk.com and if you want to hear more from us well jack where can the listeners find you they can find me i'm jlw chambers on pretty much all the social media instagram twitter all that good stuff and you can also hear me on a few other podcasts as well. I'm a member of the Super 8-Bit Power Hour, which is a local Norwich-based kind of pop culture nerdy little network of podcasts. Um, we recently launched a Patreon for that show. So if you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can find that uh, in, on my Twitter or by searching for the Super 8-Bit Power Hour. Um, we also launched our D&D podcast to go along with the Patreon, and you can get all of our spin-off shows one month early if you support us on Patreon there as well. And, of course, I will be returning, hopefully very soon, fingers crossed, with Season 3 of Sequelizers, where we're going to be fixing even more terrible sequels, and uh, my fellow Sequelizers will be writing scripts that are drastically better than the original terrible sequels that actually exist in real life. And I will discuss and judge those scripts from my fellow sequelizers how about you brian excellent uh as for me project37.net you can find all of my social media stuff um yeah one stop shop just head over there and you can check it out that's it for us for now but coming up spider gwen number 30 to defeat the kingpin gwen has to let venom win but if murdoch dies so does gwen stacy of course he's one step ahead that damn kingpin and of course in spider-man number 239 
His Sinister Six are turning on him, and his nephew, Spider-Man, if you hadn't caught that one, can't turn a blind eye to his crimes. The Iron Spider is going down. But how far? And how far will Miles go to avoid losing his uncle again? And you won't believe what Miles' parents are planning for his future. Uh, I feel like we're back on track with the solicits actually lining up in the story. That actually lines up with <laughs> the, the end of the last issue. Ah, uh, just... just in time. Hopefully not leading to Spidey. Fingers oh, crossed. We shall see. At the end of the day, it is important to say we are all fans. And even if we don't love every issue... Our thanks, as always, go to the creators for their hard work in making these characters and their books happen. And our thanks to you for spending part of your day hanging out with us to read and talk about it all. Be well, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you soon on The Ultimate Spin. Ultimate Spin.